Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome to episode number 137 of Linux in the Ham Shack. And tonight, it's just a twosome. You have me, Russ, K5TUX, and you have uh, Cheryl, N0CALL, uh, up there in Missouri. So, <laughs> uh, the uh, the YL, who will get a ticket someday, right? That's what we're, that's what we're going for? Maybe. Maybe. A nice you are to me. Well, I thought I'd been nice. No. I see. You were quizzing me on the way to Hamvention. I missed my exit. You know, I drove 150 miles out of the way to get back to Dayton. Well, don't you think you should make that worth it by getting your license now? Okay, good point. <laughs> All right. I'll consider it. Maybe I'll do that for your Christmas present. Oh, hey, that, that works. That'd be great. Okay. Okay. We'll see. Well, unfortunately... Pete had an unfortunate death in the family. One of his family pets was apparently killed. We don't have any details that I'm aware of. No. But because of that, he will not be here tonight. So Cheryl and I will uh, will carry on. We will trudge on. We will do the show. That being said, it may be a, sh- a short show. We'll do the best we can. So uh, we'll start off with uh, some amateur radio topics. We've got a couple of them here we can talk about. The first one I found earlier today on Reddit they're talking about a website out there on the interwebs called qrznow.com, which everyone over on Reddit and in many other places are very up in arms about this site. Because apparently what it is is a news feed aggregator, but what they're doing is they're copying and pasting ham radio content from other sites and then posting them as original content without attribution or mention of any kind. What I would like to do is recommend the same thing that everyone else I'm seeing is recommending is that you do not provide patronage to qrznow.com. Um, you can find lots of legitimate sources for all of these different stories. And uh, we sort of aggregate ham radio news here as well. Yeah, you don't want to be a part of this site, which is basically just stealing other people's hard work and posting it as their own. If you would, please stay away from qrznow.com. I got this information originally from Reddit and also an article from uh, Kilo Echo 8P, Kilo Echo 8 Papa.us, who's uh, been a longtime listener of the show. And all of the links to the various bits of information on where you can find out about what this site has been doing and why you should you know, not be a part of it will be in the show notes. We've got lots of links, lots of citations, and if you uh, search for them on on Reddit, you'll find out all you ever wanted to know about qrznow.com. So don't go there. Don't use it. Just use some of the reputable sites. That's all I had to say about that. Uh, Cheryl, you put in a couple of stories here that sound interesting, so I'll let you read one of them, then I'll read one of them. Okay. All right. Um, One of the first things that I found from the AR Newsline is radio incompatibility... VDSL versus ham radio, round one. And you're going to hear dogs in the background, probably. Uh, a post on the RSGB EMC committee forum acknowledges that a group is carrying out an investigation 
of the significance of interference to amateur radio from leakage from VDSL systems. VDSL is the acronym for Very High Speed Digital Subscriber Lines, which trans transmit data in the 13 to 55 megabytes per second range over short distances between 1,000 and 4,500 feet of twisted pair copper wire. As the final length of cable into the home or office, VDSL connects to neighborhood optical network units, which in turn connect to the central office's main fiber network backbone. This architecture allows VDSL users to access the maximum bandwidth available over normal phone lines. According to committee member Robin Page Jones, G3JWE, the emissions from VDSL are continuous and can be indistinguishable from white noise. As such, they may go unnoticed for some time. Most problems are seen when the connection to houses in the area is by overhead cable. The band that's affected the most depends on the distance of the house or business from street VDSL cabinets. And since Russ works in the phone aspect of this, he may know more about this. Well, I don't really know any more about it, although what's interesting is that I use VDSL here, and I have not noticed any untoward you know, white noise or excessive interference on my ham radios here, even though I do have a VDSL connection to the house, and it is provided by overhead wires. So uh, at least here, I'm not being affected by this. Now, even though this came from the ARRL Newsline, no, AR Newsline, sorry, AR Newsline, the report is from the RSGB, so this apparently is affecting Great Britain, and I'm not sure if that is also affecting folks here in the United States. The report apparently is from England, so they, they may have a different type of VDSL there. It may use different frequencies. They may have different transmission properties for getting VDSL to homes in Great Britain than they do here in the States, or they may be exactly the same, and I'm just not affected by it. And a lot of people that I know of don't have VDSL. It's not as widely deployed as ADSL or other technologies of that kind. But this could affect you. And if you've been uh, experiencing some unwanted line noise or white noise in your signals and you happen to be using VDSL, you may want to check into that or uh, investigate this further. Uh, link, I don't see here in the Etherpad, so I assume that there is a link. Yeah, there is a link. I'll get that updated real quick. Okay. So everything will be in the show notes, obviously. Yep, that's good. Show notes are a good thing. With that, we also have Rescue Radio. Homeland Security Plan includes amateur radio. The AWRL reports that the latest United States Department of Homeland Security's 2014 National Emergency Communications Plan, or NECP, formally incorporates amateur radio. This, in its blend of media outlets that could support and sustain communications in a disaster or emergency situation. According to the new plan, amateur radio operators can be important conduits for relaying information to response agencies and personnel when other forms of communications have failed or have been severely disrupted. And anybody who's been listening to this show at all knows we already knew that. I guess it's about time for the government to catch up, right? The document also describes changes that lie ahead for other forms of emergency communications, such as 911 systems. It notes that next generation 911 will enhance the capabilities of current networks by permitting the transmission and reception of photos, videos, and text messages. This, says the agency, would provide additional situational awareness to dispatchers and emergency responders. Situational awareness. That sounds like government speak. Uh, the AWRL says that the 2014 National Emergency Communications Plan is the first update since the original plan was released in 08. It was made public on November 12th with the complete text on the web at www.dhs.gov NECP. 
that link and the link to the article that this came from will, of course, be in the show notes. I think it's funny that it's taken them eight years or whatever it is, six years, to figure out what we already knew years and years and years and years ago. All right, a couple of quick Linux topics. Linux, yay. A four-year-old comment security bug affects 86% of WordPress sites. 86%. wonder where they came up with that number. Let's just say it affects a lot of WordPress sites. Ars Technica reports on a recently discovered bug in WordPress 3 sites that could be used to launch malicious script-based attacks on site visitors' browsers. And uh, we should all point out quickly here, before we get to the end of this article, that WordPress 4 is already out. So if you haven't upgraded your site to WordPress 4, you should probably do that, since it obviously mitigates this attack. Uh, The attack allows an attacker to craft a comment on a blog post that includes malicious JavaScript. Uh, The dreaded JavaScript. Proof of concept attack delivered by Kliki Oi. Kliki Oi. Kliki Oi. Was able to hijack a WordPress site administrator session and create a new WordPress administrative account with a known password, change the current administrative password, and launch malicious PHP code on the server. That is bad news. Definitely want to take care of this, folks. Uh, that means an attacker could essentially lock the existing site administrator out and hijack the WordPress installation for malicious purposes. And uh, there's a lot of sites out there that use WordPress. If you're listening to this, uh, you know, you may even run a site that uses WordPress. Time to upgrade. Uh, WordPress 4.0, which I've already mentioned, is not vulnerable to this attack. Upgrade your WordPress sites, folks. I use WordPress for all of my stuff. It's already been upgraded because mine does it automatically, which is very nice. And you can set yours to do the same, which I would highly recommend. And a link to the RS Technica article will, of course, be in the show notes because it has one of those long, ugly WordPress URLs. Uh, You want to hit this one about Raspberry Pi? Sure. Okay. Since since you're a Raspberry Pi lover. Uh Uh-huh. New Raspberry Pi Pico computer. A new and inexpensive Raspberry Pi Pico computer christened the model A+, has been released. Selling at only about $20 U.S., depending on where you buy it, this is a truly updated version that features, among other things, a 700 megahertz Broadcom CPU with 256 megabytes of RAM, a four-pole stereo audio output, a composite video port, and a full-size HDMI connector. Also included are ports for connecting a CSI camera and Raspberry Pi screen display, which are sold separately. The Raspberry Pi A Plus measures only 56 by 65 millimeters with standard mounting holes already drilled into the PC board. So that's like two inches by three inches, give or take. A full article on this latest single tiny uh, tiny computer is uh, at a tiny URL website that's also going to be in the show notes because I don't want to rattle the whole thing off. Yeah, that one's actually pretty easy. Tinyurl.com slash raspberry dash pi dash model dash A. That's pretty All right, fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, of course, comes from the AR Newsline as well, and the link to the article will be in the show notes because we, unlike qrznow.com, cite our sources. Uh, that's very well, I important. I admit I steal stuff from other places. Uh, we don't steal it because we're mentioning it. <laughs> well, that's true. We, we just we borrow it from Right, them. we that's borrow true. it. We don't claim it as our own. That's true, so... Definitely check that out if you're into the Raspberry Pi, which I am. They're very cool little single board computers. And for 20 bucks, how can you possibly go wrong? I mean, that's great for a, a fully functional computer. 
with enough horsepower to actually broadcast a high definition video signal so you can use it as a little media server, which a lot of people do. Do you know if the thing said anything about whether they've changed over the Ethernet bus so that it's not attached to the USB bus? The whole thing from AR Newsline is posted there. And I didn't actually go to the tiny URL, but I will do that now. That was one of the complaints that I've heard many times about the Raspberry Pi in general is that you do not get full Ethernet capability out of the device because it's tied to the speed of the USB back. And it would be nice if they actually separated those. But considering these are getting smaller and cheaper, I'm guessing they probably did not go that way. Part of the PCB occupied by the USB and Ethernet sockets has been removed along with the network chip. Okay, so this one doesn't have Ethernet at all. No. Okay, so I guess you have to use a USB to Ethernet adapter with these things if you want network connectivity. Uh, it has a micro USB power source. Right, and it has it looks like it has one USB port. Right. One standard USB port. Right. And no other Ethernet connector unless it's a hard pin type connector. So that makes it less useful. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, you should watch the video later. Yeah. For anybody who's into their, interested in these, you might want to check out what you're actually getting with this A-plus model because without the Ethernet chip, um, you, you either have to kind of fudge some sort of networking or it needs wireless, which I don't see any information about at all. So I'm assuming that any kind of networking is going to have to be external and will probably use the one available USB port, which generally, from what I've seen, you need to use for your keyboard and or mouse to even get the thing to do anything. With all of that in mind, I'm not sure how useful this device is, but, you know, your mileage may be very good and check it out. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to take a very, very brief look at a Linux distribution that has been mentioned before, I think, on this show, but we haven't really talked about, and that is Elementary OS. I took a look, a quick look at Elementary OS today. I booted it up in a virtual box, virtual machine environment. I gave it a couple gigabytes of RAM. I gave it a 20 gig hard drive. It is basically Ubuntu under the hood. I didn't check to see which version of Ubuntu, but it's basically Ubuntu with a very nice interface. They actually created a user interface called Pantheon, which contains the file browser, and the general look of things. It also has a dock on the main page that looks very similar to a macOS-type desktop, along with the bar across the top, the, the sort of universal application bar across the top. So it has a very macOS-y look and feel to it when you fire it up. One thing I will say for it is that the installation procedure was incredibly painless. Three or four clicks plus entering my username got the thing installed. You know, I happen to have a relatively fast desktop, but this was run in a virtual machine environment and I clocked my boot time. And when this system was installed, from the time I started, you know, I pressed start on the virtual machine environment to the time I had a login window was four seconds. That's how long it takes for this thing to boot up. By any measure, that's pretty damn fast. You know, once I typed in my username and my password, getting to a functional desktop was another four seconds. Elementary OS, I have to say, is super fast. It is 
very clean. The interface is very nice, especially if you're in tune with the way macOS works and looks. The applications that it starts out with are a little bit different than you might be used to. For a mail browser, it uses Geary Mail, which I had never seen before. But it's a very nice sort of lightweight mail environment. Works very well. Gives you multiple accounts. Uh, It has a music browser, which I think is Rhythmbox, but I didn't really look into it uh, too terribly deeply. The default browser is Midori, so it's lightweight and fast. Uh, The photo manager is Shotwell. Instant messenger client is Empathy. And, of course, everything else about it is based on Ubuntu. So you have PPAs, the Ubuntu repos, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can get the file as a direct download. They ask for a donation, but, of course, you can download it for free if you like. There is a huge developer community surrounding elementary OS. And uh, if you kind of like the way Ubuntu does things but you hate Unity, then this is a great way to go. And it also includes all of the Ubuntu repos and all of the PPAs that you can access. So getting ham radio applications to run under elementary OS is dirt easy. While I haven't explored this enough to recommend it one way or another, or say that it's you know as good as or nearly as good as something like Linux Mint, it is definitely something I'm going to look into further and see if I can recommend it as a good starter OS for somebody who just wants to fire something up and use it in their ha- in their ham shack, for example. Uh, but from what I saw, usability right out of the box is really good. Installability is amazingly simple and amazingly quick, and the system is very fast and looked pretty stable uh, for the couple of hours that I used it today. But I will be digging deeper into it, and I will report back on what I think about this as time goes on. And if anybody else has used elementary OS or you know, will use it between now and the next episode, feel free to send us your feedback about the system because uh, I would love to hear you know, other people's thoughts about what looks like a very nice operating system based on Ubuntu. And uh, that's, you know, kind of hard for me to say because I'm not a big fan of Ubuntu, uh, mostly because of Unity, which this doesn't have. So there's a quick look at elementary OS. And now we come to our third segment, Linux in the Hamshack. And in this installment, I'm going to look at K-Log, a logging application, or should I say two logging applications. I was browsing around on Reddit for topics to discuss tonight, and the topic of K-Log came from the Ubuntu-Hams group. And uh, they talked about the fact that 0.6.0 of K-Log had just been released. So when I went jumping around the internet looking for K-Log, I discovered that there are two applications called K-Log. So the one that Ubuntu Hams was talking about is one that's developed by Jaime Robles. Half of the site is in Spanish and half of it is in English, so it's a little hard to navigate. But it's kind of an interesting logger application because it is written for macOS, Windows, and Linux, which is kind of unusual. Uh, they say they're the only one that is cross-platform like that. I'm not sure it's the only one, but it's uh, you know certainly in the minority. And I said 0.6. It's actually 0.9. Sorry about that. 0.9 is the one that's been released. I downloaded the Debian package and installed it on my system. It requires some of the KDE runtimes because, as Klog would suggest, it is based on KDE. But you don't need to run KDE to run it. 
because I do not run KDE. As long as you have the basic Qt files and the KDE base files, you know, it will run in any desktop environment that uses X. Uh, I have it sitting here running in front of me. It has a nice GUI look to it. It uses um, LCD-like display for your QSOs, your confirmed QSOs, your worked all zones, DXCC and stuff like that for, for keeping your counters and your frequency information. It has a nice solid layout, pretty easy to navigate. Drop downs where you need them for things like RST, regular entry fields for things like frequencies, uh, the call sign, uh, stuff like that. You can set a band, a mode, and an RST, and then you can just basically bang away by entering call signs. Uh, and it's you know super fast, super easy. Handles Cabrillo or Cabrillo. Handles ADIF format, handles its own internal logging format, tracks DXCC and other awards, which is nice, including uh, IOTA and stuff like that. And one nice thing I noticed about it is that it has, a, it has built-in access to uh, DX clusters. So if you're out there chasing DX, you can watch your DX contacts scroll by or you know the DX available out there in the world scroll by. Uh, as you're tuning around uh, and logging stuff. And, of course, it also has access to your rig via Hamlib so that you can uh, enter your frequency data and stuff like that directly from the radio while you're logging. Pretty straightforward, pretty simple. No frills, super easy to install. And, of course, if you're a native KDE user, this will uh, look very nice to you and uh, will fit into your system very well. But even if you're not... It's pretty easy to install, which brings me to the other K-Log, which is one that's actually a few years old now. I think the last update was in late 2010 or early 2011. This one is developed by 9A5K and K5CRO, or was developed. I'm not sure if it's an active development anymore. This is actually a Windows application, but... What I did was, since I found this application called K-Log, I went to see if it could be run under Wine. And lo and behold, it can. It, it runs just fine under Wine. The interface for this one looks very similar to the other K-Log, except, of course, it's uh, Windows-y because it's you know written for Windows. They split out the various parts of your logging information, including awards tracking, QSO list, and so forth into different sub-windows, uh, basically different tiles inside the main window, whereas the other K-Log, basically everything's all in the same main window. But other than that, your pre-configuration for band mode, station, QTH, and all that is pretty much the same. And they're both actually pretty intuitive. And since this can run under Wine, you might want to consider it if it happens to fit the way you know your logging flow works. There's two applications out there in the world called K-Log, one native for Linux and one that runs natively on Windows for both, one of which can run under Wine if you want to use it on Linux, and the one developed by Jaime Robles can also be used on Mac OS, if that's your thing. Two interesting options there for logging if you want to check them out, and if anybody has used either of these, I use them in sort of beta testing just kind of setting up my station as if I was going to start logging and entering a few contacts into them. And both of them were just as easy to use. I would, of course, 
go with the one that's a native Linux application over the other one. But uh, certainly both of them are usable on Linux. So if anyone has any comments about that or checks them out, please uh, let us know what you think. Or if anybody, you know, specifically has used these in the past and really likes them, you know, let us know your thoughts on them because we tend to fixate on one or two and don't really branch out that much where we probably should. Uh, one thing to note about the Windows K-Log is that it has a contest mode. I don't know what the contest mode does. I wasn't able to figure it out just by noodling around, but that might be of interest to some who are specifically interested in contest logging. Uh, whereas the Jaime Robles 0.9 contest logger that was just released, or not contest logger, logger that was just released, does not have uh, any appreciable contest mode. I have run out of all the things I can say about K-Log for now. So unless you have anything to contribute over there, I'm going to go ahead and cue up the music. I have absolutely nothing to contribute. Nothing to contribute. Okay, your contributions come after the break. Yes. Yes. All right. All kinds of them. All right. Well, that's good because I'm getting tired of talking. You'll get by. <sighs> yes, I get by without help from my friends, apparently. Okay, we're still going through the list of music that we got from Donovan Bali via Twitter. And I think we're right in the middle of the range between uh, Pete and Russ at this point. So this one apparently would appeal to either one of us. Uh, I took a quick listen to it before the show, and it sounded good to me, but I didn't listen through to the whole thing, so I guess we'll see if that holds true. But anyway, this is a song called What is Love by a group named Fall, Walk, Run. This came out uh, not very long ago, about a year ago, December 2nd, 2013. The group is from Wolverhampton in the UK. The album this comes from is Piece by Piece. We found this via Gemendo. Well, we actually found it via Donovan Bali, but he found it via Gemendo. And so we're going to give this one a quick listen. Uh, it's about three and a half minutes long, so sit with us for that amount of time, and we'll be back on the other side to uh, wrap this thing up. Oh, 
okay, well, we don't have Pete's witty commentary about the song, so I'm just going to say that I kind of enjoyed that it's kind of reggae and bouncy and not too hard and grungy, which Pete tends to not like as much. I think that was a good kind of middle of the road song. Could you hear it all right? What did you think? I liked it, which is kind of shocking because you and I don't like a lot of the same music. I don't know. I think we like a lot of the same music, but we can find middle ground in some places. And I think that was a good middle ground type song. Yes, definitely. All right. Sounds good. So we've got some feedback to get to now that we're done with the music. Uh, the first bit of feedback was a comment on episode number 136 from Dwayne Victor Alpha One Delta Whiskey Golf. And he says, I can listen, but I am a visual learner. The site is well laid out and keep us posted. It is all cool. Not sure what all he's referring to there, unless he's specifically talking about that episode or, you know, just lhspodcast.info in general. But it sounded positive, so thanks very much, Dwayne, for your feedback. VA1 Delta Whiskey Golf, thanks for listening. Glad to have you on board. Also got a comment on the last episode from Johnny. November 4, Juliet Echo Kilo. And he says, uh, Russ, what USB headset did you buy from Walmart to be used for free TV? I have the box right here. It was a Logitech H390. Logitech H390 USB headset. Works fabulous for FreeDV. And I don't remember how much it cost, but it wasn't that much. I think it was like less than $30. Also, I have been wondering about this for a little while. Why are the frequencies in the voice range of the US AWRL band plan? Shouldn't FreeDV use the data frequencies since this is a voice encoded into 16 QPSK? Otherwise, wouldn't FreeDV cause additional QRM for analog? Also, I thought I read somewhere that you could use this on VHF, UHF, SSB as well. Could you confirm this? Cheryl's Recipe Corner is awesome. Keep it up, please. This is why I listen to the end now. You hear that? Yeah, I heard that. So, you know, you keep saying, well, I don't think anyone's interested in the Recipe Corner. Well, it sounds like everyone's interested in the Recipe Corner. Okay. Fine, whatever. Well, you should be happy. Yay. <laughs> wow, that's that's real <laughs> excitement. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is I, I logged into the Etherpad this evening at like, you know, 7.30 to find it completely blank. And I went, ah, crap. Not only do I have to get my recipe in there, I should find some content to help out. So it was, <laughs> it was a little um, brush there for a while. <clears throat> well... It looks like it all came together. It did all come together. Luckily, you're just running way behind tonight. Yes, I was running way behind. You know, sometimes it happens. Yeah, well, I, I keep saying that, you know, neither one of us should procrastinate on this. And we should actually, like, do stuff in the period between the two shows. Yet that never, ever happens. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> That's because we, we do other things. Just, than just Linux and the Ham Shack. Much as I know everyone would like to believe that we just do nothing but this and we devote all of our time to Linux and the Ham Shack, we do actually do the occasional other thing. We do the other thing a lot. And, you know, this week is going, later this week, is going to be especially busy because it's your 45th birthday. Yes, it sure is. Big 45. Woo yeah. Woo! Uh, he did have a couple of questions there that I should probably address before we get yes. you know too far sidetracked. He says, uh, the frequencies are in the voice range. Shouldn't they be in the data range? 
I meant to actually look up and see why these were in the voice part of the band as opposed to the data part of the band. But my take on it is that since the ultimate reception of the data is voice, that it is properly allocated into the voice part of the band. Because if you think about it, when you are decoding something like CW or PSK, it's being translated for you by a computer so that you see text. But basically what you are receiving is the raw data part, you know, which is the modulation of the carrier. In the case of FreeDV, um, you are also getting a modulated carrier, but the ultimate result of that modulation is voice. It is just like an SSB transmission. And I think based on that, it is properly allocated to the voice part of the spectrum. I have to imagine that because of the way FreeDV works, there was probably a great deal of discussion about whether this was considered a data mode or a voice mode. But from all that I've seen and from all of the calling frequencies that I have found using the FreeDV locator service, they are all within the voice portion or, you know, what we call the phone portion of the band plan. And I think that is because the, re the ultimate reception of the, the codec or the ultimate reception of the signal is a voice transmission. Uh, and therefore, it properly aligns with being in the phone portion of the band. Now, that's just my take on it. I have to imagine there was a great deal of discussion about this because I do believe it could have gone either way. You know, in the case of something like a standard P uh, PSK signal, it's being decoded as well. It's just being decoded as text. This one's being decoded as voice. Why isn't it the same? But I, I think it's just because of the ultimate, the final delivery is what determines what part of the band it should be in. And that's why it's voice. Uh, and as far as can you use it on VHF and UHF single sideband, you absolutely can. And it certainly doesn't matter what part of the frequency spectrum you're in. It's a voice transmission mode. And as long as you have something on one end that can encode it and something on the other end that can decode it, it doesn't matter where you are, you can use it there. And I believe if you look at the locator service, which I don't have handy, there is a calling frequency for like two meters. It's not really as necessary in the VHF frequencies because it's easier to get a good sounding signal, you know, using FM, for example, a straight voice communication. Frankly, I'm not aware of a whole lot of mass market commercial ham radio gear that does multi-mode operation VHF and UHF. Finding a two meter single sideband transceiver is not going to be the easiest thing to do. Finding one that's 2-meter FM all day long, no problem. Finding 2-meter sideband is going to be a little more difficult. From a technical perspective, it absolutely can be done. I just think it's not as necessary. It's designed to give you a clear voice communication over a noisy band down in the HF where there's lots of skip, lots of interference, a lot of atmospheric anomaly, stuff like that. That's what it's designed for. So using it in bands that are generally quieter, that can access quieter modes isn't really necessary. So hopefully that answered your question. Uh, and thank you again for the comment. That was Johnny, November 4, Juliet Echo Kilo, who's a longtime listener and contributor to the program. We thank you, Johnny. It's always good to hear from you. I uh, also got a follow-up email from Rubens Kinjo. I mentioned all of his stuff being relicensed, his artwork and his photography uh, as Creative Commons. 
He says, uh, hi, Russ. I'm a little behind my podcast listening. Last week, though, I listened to the last episode of Linux in the Hamshack. Thanks a lot for the plug. I just got a quick update on the matter. Now, all of my artwork is under CCSANCDV licensing, which is Creative Commons with a bunch of other crap on the end of it. Uh, you can find all of that at HTTP colon stroke stroke Rukin dot CO. That's Romeo Uniform Kilo India November dot Charlie Oscar. Uh, I wish you all a great 2015 seven three Rukin. And he says, P.S. I wonder if it's okay to say seven three at the end of this email, even though I'm not a radio amateur guy. If it's not in that case, cheers. And as far as I'm concerned, you can say seven three if you want works for everybody, as long as you know what it means. So if you want to check out his uh, artwork, you can look at Rukin.co. And uh, as was reported on the last episode or two episodes ago, I think, all of his photography is uh, over on Flickr. Check that out if you like. And finally, I got a tweet. I can't remember if it was yesterday or this morning from Brian, November 1, Foxtrot India Yankee, who asked, uh, Hey, Russ, what is the name of that lightweight Linux distro you guys like? Have an old netbook I'm looking to repurpose. Thanks. And I replied to him on Twitter, but for everyone else, that distribution is Crunchbang, formerly based on Ubuntu and I think now based on Debian, unless they've changed again. Uh, but it's a super lightweight, very fast, very easy to install and configure and use distribution for things like netbooks and other lightweight computers. So if you want to do that kind of thing, check out Crunchbang. And Brian confirmed after I replied that that was indeed the distribution he was looking for. So excellent. So thanks, Brian. Thanks for the tweeter comment, the tweeter comment, the tweety tweety. Uh, and we're still doing our tweety tweety thing where once we get up to 500 followers over at, at LHS podcast, we'll give away a Baofeng uh, handy talkie or Pofeng, I guess, as they are now for whatever reason. So just remember that we're at 466 right now. So we're getting close, getting close. Could be a good Christmas present. Keep that in mind. And now we're to the best part of the show. Cheryl's recipe corner. Yay! Yay! Or something, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's the only thing anybody talks about anymore, is Cheryl's Recipe Corner. Well, yeah, because you guys are, you know, like old news or something. I think we are. We're definitely old news. Yeah, well, yeah. That's okay, because you're probably going to argue with me over the, the recipes I have this week, but we'll see. Okay. Okay. So, anyway, since it's winter in the U.S., around our house, we typically eat a lot of soup in the winter. Although we're known to eat soup in the summer, too. So, anyway, this week I'm going to share two of our favorite soups. Russ is a huge fan of the Zuppa Toscana soup that they serve at Olive Garden restaurants. While I prefer the chicken gnocchi soup. So, this week I'm featuring my recipe for both of those, which have been modified to work in a slow cooker. and Or in this house, known as the good old crock pot. Um, if you don't own one of these wonderful creations which you really should own at least one. I know that's much to Russ's dismay because he's not a big fan of Crock-Pot stuff or hasn't been in the past. I think I'm winning him over. Um, these can be simmered on the stovetop just as easily. And, of course, the recipes will be in the show notes. So the recipes this week are for the Olive Garden Zeppa Toscana, which has chicken broth and onion and bacon and some kale, which you could probably substitute spinach if you would prefer it. No, you got to use uh, kale. Do not yeah, use spinach. Yeah, the kale is really good. Yeah, kale is really good. And even for yeah. people who don't like kale, one nice thing about it is it, it stays a little bit crunchy even in the soup. You know, if you had 
spinach in place of kale, it would be all like soggy and mush. Soggy, and you don't, right, yeah. 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 yeah, the kale does stay a little crunchy. Um, there's also some potatoes in it. And link uh, Italian sausage that you can, you know, you cut into slices and then cut those slices in half. So you have little half moon shapes. We use mild Italian sausage because it also has red pepper flakes in it. But if you like your stuff spicy, go ahead and grab some hot sausage. Because I bet it would be really good that way. So, And then the next recipe, of course, is the chicken gnocchi soup. Um, it's got some veggies, some celery, onion, carrots, uh, garlic, some heavy cream, um, chicken broth. And to be completely lazy, which I am completely guilty of, um, I buy a rotisserie chicken at Walmart and put in mine. And you can usually get like an Italian one or an Italian herb. I don't remember what they call it. But if you can't find those, just a plain old rotisserie chicken works great. Um, And my recipe calls for pre-made gnocchi, which Walmart stores typically have, although in Southwest Missouri, our stores are a little smaller, so it's a little harder to find it. Um, If you can't find it at your local grocery store, I also have a recipe that I'm including for that that uses... um, mashed potato flakes so but yeah they're they're all it's all very very good and very filling and you know definitely takes care of the comfort food aspect of soup well i don't know what you're expecting me to argue with you i like both the chicken yoki soup and the zuppa toscana i like one you more prefer- than the other but yeah it's very sad. you prefer the toscana much more yeah but so. it's it's a soup that has bacon and sausage in it how can you you know even compare that to chicken yoki i mean but it has chicken in it, and chicken is very good. I'm sorry, bacon wins. <sighs> all right, fine, <laughs> bacon wins. Uh, anyway, all of these recipes will, of course, be in the show notes, and they're also on Cheryl's blog, which is at madamoo.com. Make sure you check them out either either way there, and, of course, all the uh, cooking instructions uh, for making both the gnocchi and the gnocchi soup and the Zuppa Toscana will all be there, plus any of the recipes you've heard here before this. Uh, and actually, I think a few that haven't been here uh, yet. Or um, Well, no, because I redid my recipe thing. Oh, okay. So it's only um, the new stuff. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, it's all new stuff. Get, you know, it gets added every week. Hopefully okay. it's still there. And, you know, it kind of makes me wonder if my WordPress site is actually updated to four, because I'm not sure that it has. Well, if it hasn't, you definitely want to do that. Yeah, I should probably do that. Yeah, you should probably do that. And if there are any, ever any videos of these, like if we ever do them on camera, make any of these soups or any of the other uh, recipes, um, which we have done in the past and I'm sure will do in the future, uh, those can be found on the YouTube page that Cheryl has, and that information is also in the show notes. If you want you know, a real hand-holding on how to make this stuff, uh, there will be videos out there, or there may be videos out there. Go ahead and check. Yeah, the soups are pretty easy. We could probably whip a video up. Last time I actually said that we were going to do a video of the uh, dinner rolls. And I'm glad we didn't because my dinner rolls um, rose too long and turned out more like biscuits. Yep, they were definitely good biscuits, but they were not dinner rolls. Yeah, no. They were they were yeasty biscuits is what they turned out to be. So, And that's purely my fault because I had way too much stuff going on at the same time. So, Yep, well, that sounds like how we get this show done. Or not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, you're still up. It's a social media roundup. So uh, I guess we're about ready to finish out. We'll uh, we'll go through the list here, and then we'll call yeah. it a day. 
Alrighty then, yes, this is a very short list this week. There were no donations and subscriptions, at least Russ didn't fill that part in. So there, there weren't any. Okay. Um, on Facebook, G. Maurice Cohen and Chad Haviland joined us, and Chad apparently joined us several weeks ago and he got missed, because I couldn't find him any past mentions. Um, Google Plus was Luca Corsini and Florence Hamfest. Twitter was KB1MTH and Rigelham. Nobody joined the mailing list. Nobody joined us on YouTube. And nobody bought anything this week. Yeah, I think it was the holiday season is approaching upon us and everybody was gearing up for Black Friday. And so they couldn't be bothered to, you know, be a part of the show the past couple of weeks. But uh, that's okay. We understand. We know December is a busy time of year, particularly in the United States and probably elsewhere. So, but we're we're still here. We're still doing the show. We're still having a good time, and we'll be back in uh, a couple of weeks with with the next show too. Keep that in mind. If you get some downtime, you know, give us a download, give us a listen. So I think with that, we're about ready to wrap it up. Sound good to you? Sounds good to me. All right. Well, I'll just push the button here, and then we'll uh, talk about uh, getting out of here. And this is Russ, K5TUX, and this has been episode number 137. On this day, December 1st, 2014, of Linux in the Ham Shack. Uh, thanks, Cheryl, for being here and doing your wonderful recipe corner that everybody loves. Okay, one up. <laughs> All right. Um... Anyway, if you want to become an LHS ambassador, just visit the website. You can find out about how you can participate in an upcoming HamFest or Linux convention and represent our show. You can leave us voice feedback at LHS Show, 1909 LHS Show. That's 1909-547-7469. You can also email us at info at lhspodcast.info. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on Freenode. Go ahead and subscribe to that mailing list. There's always some secret interesting stuff there, and we try not to spam you. In fact, you know, we rarely send emails, so we won't spam you. If you want to buy some merchandise and help out the show, you can go to cafepress.com slash LHS podcast or printfection.com slash LHS podcast. You can also click on those sponsored links on the right-hand side of the webpage. That helps us out a few pennies every time. It doesn't cost you a thing. You can listen live every other Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time in the United States. That's 0200 Zulu early on Tuesday morning. Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode is on the website, as well as all the information you ever wanted to know about the show. And that website is lhspodcast.info. So check it out. Join us again in another fortnight for episode number 138. We hope to see you there. We hope you all had a good Thanksgiving or whatever holiday it is you're about to celebrate. And uh, have a good, merry holiday time. We'll catch you in a couple of weeks. From between the peaks in the pine forest of north central Arkansas, this is Russ, K5TUX. Talk to you next time.
cranberry sauce.